Welcome to this week's edition of Leading the Way, powered by the Institute for Corporate Productivity. Influential people, high-performing organizations, creating a culture of success. And now your hosts, Scott Murray and Angel Carlton. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to yet another edition of Leading the Way. I'm Scott Murray. And I'm Angel Carlton. And on this Sunday afternoon, delighted to have you on board. We're going to be here till about 5 o'clock this afternoon. And, and again, we're talking to the prominent companies all across America and the incredible CEOs that continue to lead uh, those companies from, uh, from start to finish, making it happen, being as successful as they can be every single day. And, uh, of course, my uh, co-host here, as she always is alongside, able-bodied when she... Uh, sits in the booth here, but maybe more importantly, day-to-day, she is a director at I4CP, and of course, I4CP is our uh, presenting partner, Institute for Corporate Productivity. Yes, and for those of you tuning in for the first time, I4CP is the leading human capital research firm. We improve workforce productivity by studying the people practices of high-performing organizations, and we share that research and these insights in what we call Next Practices with our members, we work with some of the top companies in the world, like Amazon, Microsoft, Starbucks, 3M, and today's guest, Lando Lakes. Uh, we had the actual... Been around a lot longer than you and yeah, I have, I tell you that. Is, it's a household <laughs> brand, isn't it Oh, it, it sure is. It sure is a household brand. Yep. And just a couple of weeks ago at our conference, uh, we had the honor of serving Lando Lakes with our I4CP Next Practice Award, which... It, yeah, talk about well, above and beyond. That's well, pretty good well stuff. It's well-deserving because of all that they're doing with technology to address global hunger issues and their uh, innovative talent initiatives. Uh, you know, we really, we had the honor of meeting Lauren Herringa. He's the chief HR officer there and who serves on our CHRO board. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, he's just an incredible asset. Yeah, I, I, I was really excited. I, you know, I had never met most of these people. And then to interview some of the people like uh, like Lauren and I go, wow, this guy gets it. Wow, talk about a representative for a corporation. So uh, so they're doing some good things up there in Minnesota. There's no question about that. And, you know, I tell you, Land Lakes, I remember as a kid, opening up the refrigerator and that, <laughs> and there's Land Lakes staring at me right there. It yep. was part of growing up. It's kind of crazy, yep. but uh, so this is most exciting. Well, it's not your, you know, grandmother's butter company or the dairy company we grew up with. It's, you know, started in back in 1921 where 320 dairy farmers met in St. Paul, Minnesota to form the Minnesota Cooperative Creameries Association. Their idea was simple. They wanted to join together to effectively market and distribute members' production across the country. And today... Their four businesses provide a farm-to-fork view of agriculture. And you pair this with the farmer ownership, their co-ops, Lando Lakes is uniquely qualified to fulfill their purpose of feeding human progress around the world. And to demonstrate what a progressive company Lando Lakes is, they had a huge presence at South by Southwest last month in Austin, Texas. You ever been down there? That is above and beyond. I mean, they get the creme de la creme. Oh my gosh, over a hundred thousand people. Yeah, it's unreal. It's huge. It's you know, it's just a tool for creative people to develop their careers, and uh, people from around the world come and learn and share ideas. So they had a just a huge presence, and I'm so excited to talk about their global initiatives and the technology company that they've become. Well, I tell you today. what, when you talk about major companies like this, and one that, as we said, has been around longer than both of us combined, uh, it's, 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 it's kind of crazy because you look at somebody like Landa Lakes, you got to talk about the top, and you talk about the CEO. Let me tell you a little something about that, Chris Polisinski. More than 35 years of experience in the food industry, and he actually joined Landa Lakes back in 1997, so... Uh, we're talking close to 25 years ago, and uh, was appointed president, CEO in 2005. And then prior to joining Land Lakes, he's certainly been involved with the food industry, Angel, because he was with Kraft General Foods, he was with uh, Bristol Myers Squibb, and he was also with uh, the Pillsbury Company. Wow. And again, names that we grew up with mm-hmm. as a kid. Serves on the board of several industry groups, including the Grocery Manufacturers Association, which I might add as chairman, the Innovation Center for U.S. Dairy. Uh, by the way, did I tell you as chairman... Uh, U.S. Global Leadership Coalition and the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. I mean, the list goes on and on. So the guy's busy, but he gets it done, and obviously he knows what he's doing or he wouldn't be chair of all those, right? Right. So yeah. uh, so we're welcome, welcoming right now, Chris. Hello, Chris. How are you up there Hi, in the chilly chilly confines of, uh, of Minnesota? Is it uh, kind of cold up there now, or is it warming up a little? 
Yeah, Scott and Angel, thank you. And, and it's a delight to be here. And you are right. It is cold up here. I'm looking out my office window at a snow-covered landscape. So uh, it's, <laughs> oh. it's winter here in Minnesota. Well, it's supposed to be, uh, you know, this this uh, weekend and next week, we're supposed to get up into the 80s and 90s on a pretty regular basis. So it'll be real hot here in Texas. And we're going to say we wish it was a little cooler like Minnesota. But today, well, we'd much rather be down here than up there in the snow. <laughs> Yeah, you're making me jealous right now. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of the program. We're really excited. And, of course, we just shared a little information about you and certainly about Land O'Lakes, as as Angel said, dating all the way back to 1921. So you're coming up on a century. Talk about an incredible legacy. Good for you. Yeah, thank you. It it, uh, it really is a great company with a with a great history, and and that history is is indeed part of um, our, our strengths and our present as well. Well, I tell you what, as, as I said a moment ago, when I – Remember opening the, the the refrigerator up as a kid. There's a Land Lakes butter looking right at me every single day, and it was really something. And now here to sit and talk to you is kind of right. a kind of a kick. It really is. It is. So this is this is kind of neat. Even though you, as as we said, are not your uh, your grandfather or your grandmother's Land Lakes company, it's a whole different ball game right now. And good for you. Thanks, Scott, and thank you for the business as well. We uh, we always appreciate that and. Uh, you know, most people do know us, as, as Angel said, from our butter business. And indeed, she's right. We were formed in 1921 by a group of upper Midwest dairy farmers who wanted us to aggregate all their high-quality production and, and bargain for them, if you will, sell that output in, uh, in the retail stores, primarily at that time in the East Coast. Um, and uh, what people don't know is just a few years after that, they wanted us to aggregate their demand and buy things and do things for them better than they could on their own. So they formed a feed division. Uh, and later a crop inputs division. And if you roll the clock forward, as you said, nearly 100 years now, those are our core divisions. Land Lakes Dairy Foods, which most people know us uh, from. Uh, Purina Animal Nutrition, um, where we have all the animal feeds under the Purina brand. And a group called Winfield United, which has um, a crop inputs group and a sustainability division. Um, that really is uh, a group that uses modern technology and precision agriculture tools to show farmers how to grow things, but importantly, grow things using less inputs. Uh, economically, that's a home run for them, and from a sustainability perspective, it's a home run for all of us. Well, that's fantastic. That's a, a good way to kick things off and start it off here. What we want to do right now, before we get to the Q&A, is to ask you some questions, which we call our, our lightning round and if, if, if you might, Chris, just share with us some information. These are kind of personal things that uh, give the listener a little information about who you are, what you're all about, and how you got to be who you are as the CEO of Land Lakes. First one's easy. What was your first job? What did you learn from it? What comes to mind, Chris? Well, on my first job, I was a newly minted finance graduate from the University of Notre Dame, and I didn't go work on Wall Street or a gleaming corporate tower. I went and worked as a finance guy in a manufacturing facility for General Foods, which is a predecessor company of Kraft General Foods. Um, and it was part of their financial management program to get uh, young folks out into the business of their business. Uh, great first job, and what it taught me was um, – you know, we make and sell things. That sounds like a funny statement, but we don't make a P&L. We don't make a financial statement. We make and sell products to consumers. And if we do a good job at that, the financials follow. Good for you. Mm. Good for you. And you were in the food business then right from the get-go, weren't you? Yes, I was. Interesting. Very interesting. All right, Angel, question two. Yeah, great perspective there. Okay, so Chris, who were your top two mentors in life, and how did they have an influence you uh, on, on you as a young professional? Angel, thanks for the question. Um, there's two guys that really come to mind, and I met them both along the way at Kraft and Kraft General Foods. Uh, one gentleman is a guy by the name of Bob Eckert. Bob uh, was a, a strong marketer at Kraft, later became CEO of Kraft, and then ultimately CEO for a number of years uh, at Mattel. And I worked for Bob as a pretty young guy, and Bob taught me to uh, take, uh, think big and take prudent risks. Uh, we did a lot of big things, and I learned a lot about managing uh, big projects and risk. Uh, some days we'd come in, and uh, we tried something big, and it didn't work, and I'd I'd kind of jokingly say, Bob, they're, they're going to fire us over this one. And Bob would say, no, Chris, uh, you know, we were smart <laughs> folks. Uh, we thought this. Um, we tried something. Tell me what we learn, and he'd make me articulate that. And then he'd say, okay, great. With that learning now, what are we going to go do next? And I was uh, really 
it was one of the best things that's ever occurred to me because there really isn't failure along the way. There's just learning. Mm -hmm. And uh, what a powerful lesson for a pretty young guy. And um, it was very helpful throughout my whole career. Very interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah. Rewarding, great learning. rewarding uh, innovation. Yeah. And the notion that there really, if you take a prudent risk, you can't take an imprudent risk. If you fail because you've done something and really haven't thought it through, that, that's not so good. But if you take a prudent risk and things don't work out, that's not failure. That's learning. The most important thing is what did you learn and what are you going to go do next? Um, and that's a valuable, valuable lesson uh, for anybody. But it hit me right at that young point in my career or beginning point in my career when I was a young young guy. And, and it's an it's a important lesson. Uh, the second guy I met along the way at, at Kraft was a, a guy by the name of Doug Conant. Doug, again, another strong marketer at Kraft. Um, you know, took me under his wing uh, a little bit as a finance guy and, and showed me some things about what it meant to be a marketer. But uh, maybe more importantly, uh, for those of you that know Doug, he became later the CEO of Campbell Soup Company. Doug is a very um, different kind of leader. He's a leader who would – he was bold and aggressive, but he was a very soft-spoken man, remains a very soft-spoken man. And I learned – you didn't have to pound the table to be a bold leader, uh, to be aggressive. Um, you could do it in your own way, whatever way that was. And again, from a personal perspective, that was just a great learning. All right. That's fantastic. Well, we've got a couple questions left in the lightning round, but we've got to take a quick break, and we're going to be back with more with the CEO of Land Lakes, Chris Polisinski, when we continue here on Leading the Way. What are best practices? Are they what set you apart from your competition? Or are they simply what most companies do to stay in the race? At the Institute for Corporate Productivity, or I4CP, we focus on next practices. And that focus is what today's high-performance organizations rely on to lead the way. Next practices are tactics and strategies that our research has discovered have a great impact on market performance, but that few companies are using. They are what will define market leadership in the years ahead. I4CP helps you see around the curve so your company can adapt and take advantage of emerging trends in the ever-evolving world of human capital. We want you to lead the way. So join our team, I4CP, Institute for Corporate Productivity, leading the way. And now back to Leading the Way, powered by the Institute for Corporate Productivity. Here's Scott Murray and Angel Carlton. Welcome back to Leading the Way. Scott Murray along with Angel Carlton and our special guest today. We're delighted to welcome him from the, uh, the chilly confines, a little snowy on this Sunday afternoon in Minnesota, but uh, the CEO of Land Lakes. We're talking about Chris Polisinski. Tell you what, Chris, let's continue on with our lightning round right now. And your journey to success as the CEO of this incredible company What's been the most significant experience or turning point, maybe best put, in your professional career in developing your skills in the leader that you've become? What comes to mind? Yeah, Scott, um, a couple of things, uh, multiple company and multiple positions. So I've worked for uh, you know three or four different companies along the way, all great companies, and I've been in finance, I've been in marketing, I've been in strategy, I've been in M&A, I've been in general management, I've been in headquarters locations, I've been in plant locations. So Multiple companies and multiple experiences has been essential to to um, having the tools I need. Wow, this is a busy guy. Mm -hmm, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, what is the best advice you'd give someone in the next generation, a young professional in today's rapidly changing world? You, you know, Angel, it's exactly the other side of the coin I just mentioned. Uh, make sure you're getting, don't be so concerned about career progression up the ladder. Be concerned about putting tools in your toolkit. Make sure you're getting multiple experiences, either in the company you're in or, or, or a couple of companies along the way. Um, you know, if you're a great accountant, go take a, a, a job out in a field position. If you're a marketer, go take a job in strategy. If you're a finance person, see if you can't get into marketing. Multiple experiences puts more tools in your toolkit, and that's how you win the career game. Don't you love that, Angel? Perfect answer. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Put tools in your toolkit. Oh, that's I got to remember that. Can I use that? I like that. I like that, Chris. <laughs> All right. The last question in our lightning round, quite simply, your legacy. How would you define it? You know, I, um, it, it's a tough one because I don't really think about legacy that much, but I think balance would be a word that I'd put out. Oh, I like that. Balance, you know, balance the needs of, of your company. You have to perform as a company. But, you know, assuming you're doing that, balance the needs of your company against the communities and the broader world you work in. 
they really there really is an intersection. If you're worried about furthering the communities in the world you work in, you're probably going to have a good business. If you have a good business, you probably have the resources to invest in furthering the community in the world you work in. So balance your perspective, both outside and inside. All right. Well, that was great. You did a great job in the lightning round, Chris. I said, let's move on to some of the other questions that we've got here for you. And I want to take you back to 1921. None of us were there then, obviously, but that is when this incredible legacy began when you talk about Land O'Lakes. 320 dairy farmers, as we said, meeting in St. Paul, Minnesota to make it all happen. So let's go fast forward. And now here you are, a Fortune 200 company, Land O'Lakes Co-op, one of the largest producers of butter and cheese in the United States, and yet your organization also ranks third on the National Cooperative Bank Co-op 100 list. So here's what I'd like to know. Can you explain to our audience what a co-op business model is and how it works together, how it all comes together? What comes to mind? Yeah, a, a co-op is a form of ownership. Uh, is my first point. It's not a business strategy unto itself, and I think um, you know that's an important point. Um, it it is a structure. It's an ownership structure. Um, you know, to some degree, and this isn't quite perfect, but we are like a big family company. Uh, it, but instead of having a family, brothers and sisters, uh, and a couple of dozen of them, uh, we have thousands of, of family members who own us. Uh, so we're a privately owned company, uh, like a really big family company would be the most simple way I can describe it. Good explanation. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, well that's really, I yeah, really well the, described. The feeling of all the farmer, the farming community coming together uh, under one big umbrella. And, yeah. Uh, and and they, the farming community that started Land Lakes wanted us to do things for them that they couldn't do for themselves. Uh, initially, uh, Angel, as you said, back in 1921, that was to aggregate the supply, this high-quality butter they made in their, their little towns here in the upper Midwest, uh, gain some power, some bargaining power in the channel, and sell it to the retailers and consumers in, in the population centers of the East. Any one farmer had trouble doing that, but when they all came together and formed Land Lakes, uh, it, that simple idea really worked. Uh, we did get uh, some marketing, some bargaining power, and we're able to get the product profitably all the way to the East Coast. And, and it was a better product than than products that were available at the time in that uh, part of the country. And it took off like a rocket. Um, and you know that's been the core of our company. Uh, we went, we we do things for farmers that they couldn't do uh, as well on their own. Well, that is the power of collaboration, right there. Absolutely. Yep. Well, Chris, I read one of your quotes recently, which I found to be very profound. It reads, quote, what brought us to today's success won't be enough for the challenges of tomorrow. We must continue to evolve and change both individually and as a company, end quote. Yeah. There, there really seems to be an underlining sense of urgency in that statement. At least that's what I took from it. I mean, what type of challenges are we facing in agriculture and, and what type of changes are necessary to sustain our future generations? Yeah, I, I think ag is one of the most, food and ag is, is one of the best growth industries, if not the best growth industry on the planet right now. And, and here's some simple math. We're going to have to go from feeding the seven plus or minus billion people on the planet now to feeding over 10 billion folks uh, by mid-century, by 2050. Um, so that's uh, whatever that math is. It's about a 30, 35 percent increase in, in population. And then on top of that, diets are getting better uh, in Asia. And in Africa, as a middle class emerges, um, those those folks have a little money. And the first thing people do when they have a little money is improve their diet. So folks who study this, um, the U.N. and academics say we're going to have to have 70 percent more food between now and 2050. And if you think about it, that's not that long. Um, the reality is we don't have 70 percent more land. So we are, by definition, in a growth industry, 70 percent more stuff between now and 2050, and we're going to have to do that with very limited resources. There's 12% more land that we can bring into production. Maybe half of that actually could be used, um, and we, we already have a water shortage. So we're going to have to grow a lot more food with less resources. This is a growth industry with this grand challenge, and I think it's a pretty exciting place to be, but we're going to have to step up our game to meet that challenge. Yeah, it does sound like a pretty exciting place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Food is something we're all going to need <laughs> every single day, no matter who we are, or where we live, or where we've been. And I love that you're taking yeah. the lead on this. Yeah, I do too. 
Yeah, Scott and, and Angel, it is, uh, it, is a, it is a grand challenge, and I'm an optimist. There's no question we can meet it. And, and in fact, um, if you say we've got a double food production with very limited resources, um, I'd say uh, we've, we can do it because we already have. Um, here in the United States, uh, since my grandparents' generation, we're growing two and a half times more output, the value of all crops, livestock, uh, dairy production, with flat inputs, if you measured the value of all land and 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 uh, uh, seed and and crop inputs, two and a half times more stuff with flat inputs. And in fact, in our most productive crops like corn, where we've really brought technology to bear, we're growing six and a half times more corn on 13% fewer acres than in my grandparents' generation. So we can meet this grand challenge if we just enable farmers to do worldwide what they've done here in the United States. Wow, that's amazing. I'm, 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 I'm just totally, I'm, I'm thinking about that as you're talking about that. I'm, I'm trying to digitally put that, to, you know, to mind. That is unbelievable. That is really cool. Wow. It's a great story. And, and all we haven't had to think about it, uh, Scott, here in America. You know, uh, food has been something, at least in, in our generation, for a couple of generations, that's been abundant uh, for most of us. Uh, and we haven't really had to think about where it came from. Um, in fact, um, you know, we, we have a very small percentage of Americans, less than 2% actually produce all the food to feed 100% of all of us and, wow. and, and some other export volume that feeds uh, parts of the world. So I think we're entering an era where we're going to need to think about it to feed this soon-to-be $10 billion. Absolutely. Well, obviously, from all that you've just shared with us in this short time today, you're clearly disrupting the agricultural industry with this world-centric vision that you have. Uh, I just wondered, again, going back to technology, and it sounds like you're light years ahead of where we used to be, how are you using this technology to disrupt the, the agriculture industry as you continue to move forward here? Yeah, there's a, a few different ways, Scott. Probably the most interesting uh, and most disruptive way is we actually show farmers how to grow more crops, more output using less input, less land, less water, less seed, less fertilizer, less crop protection through using data and uh, different technologies to assess the health of the crop as it grows. So simple version in the old way of growing things, you planted the same seed you did the last year and you put on the same kind of uh, fertilizer, maybe a little more just to make sure it got started and you put a little crop protection on just in case it was a rough year in terms of pests or disease uh, and you hope for the best. Now we go in and we have 250 test plots where we test all of the new technologies and seed and, and crop protection products in combination. And we can tell a farmer what's going to work in their soil, in their climate for the way they want to farm. And we give them just the right amount of advice for a prescription, if you will, to start that crop. And then with that big data platform that gives them the advice, we do some things to monitor the health of the crop as it grows. So a few years ago, we bought a French satellite company that maps the growth of a crop through uh, uh, satellite sensing and can tell when that crop's on track or off track. And if it's on track, good for them. If it's off track, we know when to intervene. We send a team out to diagnose what's happened, and then we write another prescription, just what's needed at that point in time. That's a fancy way of describing precision agriculture, use of data and sensing technology to allow a farmer to grow more stuff with less input, less land, less water, less crop input. Good for the farmer, great for the environment. It might be a fancy way, but it sounds like a pretty smart way to me. Isn't that something, Angel? Oh, it's, it's extremely innovative, and it's something that nobody ever thinks about having a, a satellite yeah, <laughs> for to monitor the crops in, in such a way. Boy, good for wow. you, Chris and company. That's that's good stuff. Yeah, that is great stuff. And it's, you know, it's our understanding because you're doing these amazing things, you are experiencing some rapid and record growth, uh, you know, essentially making it a, a new company, uh, more technology-driven, like what you're talking about, than ever before. And, and so what is really driving that growth? Is it leadership, culture? Is it the technology? Is it the people? You know, it's a great question, Angel, and, and it's a little bit of everything you just said. Uh, I do think um, when we put together this management team, um, you know, back in 2005 now, we really stepped back and said, what are we good at? And, and the simple answer to a long discussion was we're good at, at innovation. We're good at driving insights into innovation and products and services. We're really good at that. And then we thought about where that skill lined up best. 
And one part is in food, where we can have our butter business and uh, listen to consumers and what they want and invent a spreadable butter with canola oil or with olive oil and products that, uh, you know, have different features and benefit. Another area was in our animal feed business, where we're a premium feed company by and large. We will uh, have uh, superior feeds that for um, uh, animal performance. We help farmers grow uh, healthier uh, animals, or if you're a horse owner, we can feed uh, high-performance horses with our technologies. What's the insight around animal nutrition that we can bring to those consumers? Uh, the most interesting group, though, uh, has been this crop inputs group where we said, you know, we have a muscle around uh, using big data and driving insights into the farm community because farmers trust us, we're farmer-owned. How might we leverage that? And that gave rise to this notion of, um, you know, precision agriculture, showing farmers how to grow more with less, essentially using technology, big data technology or remote sensing technologies. So that was a strategy. And, um, you know, on one, heart, one part, that was good strategic thinking. What are we good at? How are we going to leverage it? Maybe the harder work, though, was once you have that good idea, how do you make it work? And that's where aligning our structure and our, our team, our staff, uh, really uh, has been a journey. Because not surprising, I'm describing a, a, a very different kind of company for Land Lakes beginning in 2005 than we were in a lot of our business prior to that. So we had a different strategy. We needed a different structure. Uh, we're an operating company with a strong, strong corporate center that does a lot of this big data processing and things like that. Um, but we need different skills to support this different strategy and structure. And we had to rotate our workforce. So in the last five years alone, uh, not even going all the way back uh, um, 12, 13 years, in the last five years alone, 50% of our 10,000 employees are new to our company. And that's not to suggest we didn't have excellent employees before. We did. We had great employees, but we just needed some different skills to support this different strategy and structure. And that's been the hard work and the rewarding work is to evolve all of the things you just mentioned, the strategy, the structure, the team we have to execute against that, and develop a lot of new products and services. Makes a lot of sense, Chris. Chris Polisinski, he is our special guest on this edition of Leading the Way, CEO of Land Lakes. We're back with more after this. Leading the Way. It's about influential leaders and the business practices leading companies use to impact market performance. That's what the Institute for Corporate Productivity, or I4CP, does on a daily basis. We work with leading companies, from Amazon to Boeing, and REI to 3M, to not only discover the best people practices of high-performance organizations, but the next practices, those that will define market leadership in the years ahead. Senior HR, learning, talent, and diversity executives from many of the most respected companies in the world rely on I4CP to ensure that their efforts will make the greatest impact on the business. After all, it's difficult to stay ahead by only looking behind. I4CP's focus on next practices is what today's top companies rely on to lead the way. I4CP, Institute for Corporate Productivity, leading the way every single day. And now back to Scott Murray and Angel Carlton and Leading the Way, powered by the Institute for Corporate Productivity. Welcome back as we continue this edition of Leading the Way. Scott Murray along with Angel Carlton and our very special guest, Chris Polisinski, who is a man with uh, <laughs> great wisdom. Oh, my gosh, the stuff mm-hmm. I've learned here in just the, the last 30, 45 minutes. CEO of Lana Lakes. This is, uh, this is really great. Isn't I said earlier, food, something that we all need every single day. And to listen how it goes from... Well, from from farm to fork, I guess, basically, is a good way to put it. Really, this is really exciting. Yeah, and how technology is being used. Absolutely. Uh, And collaboration and just bringing it all together. And satellites he's talking about before in France. Oh, my gosh. Changing the industry. Yeah, sure is. And so, Chris, it sounds like there are some exciting changes happening at Land Lakes. I'm curious to know how that growth is impacting the culture at Land Lakes. You've had to acquire all these new employees. Um, and, and what are you doing as a leader to transition, to help the workplace transition into this progressive technology uh, advanced organization? 
Yeah, Angel, it's a, it's a great question because this is a different strategy for our company. We have a different structure. We have different skills and different people to support that structure. And how you make that gel is, is very, very important. So one of the first things we did as we recognized the need, we were going to bring in a lot of new people and, and uh, merge them, if you will, with the existing talent, was to say, um, you know, there, there is, we don't want any red shirts or blue shirts here. If you're a long-tenured employee at Land O'Lakes, we're, you're here because we value you. We value your skills, and you're essential to our future success. Uh, your job isn't a birthright. Uh, it is your skills. And if you're a new employee, uh, you know, same kind of story. You're here not because new is shiny and better, but because new brings you bring the skills, the new skills that we need to support the business strategy and structure we have. And we want one culture. We don't want two cultures. So the first thing we did was try and make sure we didn't create red shirts and blue shirts as we did some pretty dramatic organizational change. Um, the second thing, and it sounds very basic, but we reminded everybody, and we continue to do so, of the core of our strategy. Um, I've learned a big part of my job is to just communicate like mad. And we reminded folks of what we were trying to do. We were trying to drive insight and innovation. We were trying to leverage our farm-to-market view to be able to enable our customers in food or feed or crop inputs to get what they want uh, with new products and services. Um, and we continue to kind of relentlessly remind them of what we're trying to do, of our strategy. And then maybe um, – more difficult is stay out of the way. Uh, let those good people develop the hows to support the what. Um, and that's a culture that we've worked hard at creating, uh, a very strategic, mindful culture. The, the third thing we've done, so no red shirts and blue shirts, a very mindful, strategic culture, uh, is to talk about the reality that we're a high-teaming environment. We've pulled up into our corporate center a lot of the services a typical company might have in the operating units. So we have uh, accounting and, and the control functions that you find, um, IT, but we also have manufacturing in, in our corporate center. We have marketing in our corporate center. Um, we have all the talent management in our corporate center. That means the units are free not to think about closing the books or making products, um, but they're, they're, they're free to think 100% of their time about consumers, customers, and competition. I think it's a better way to work. You get the scale benefits of putting all of those corporate functions in one spot. You can recruit world-class talent at scale. Um, you can share learnings very quickly uh, from one organization to the next. And you get the benefit of being very customer intimate uh, in your operating units. Those are easy statements to make. The hard part is to make sure you've got the right dynamic and high teaming. Because if you're in an operating unit, you depend on corporate center to make your stuff. And if you're in corporate center making stuff, you depend on the operating unit to give you a good forecast of what they need and on and on and on. It's a high teaming environment. So the three things in our culture that we've worked hard on over the years is – no red shirts and blue shirts. We're all one team, even though we've brought in a lot of new folks and we continue uh, to do so. Let's be mindful of the what, our strategy, and you know, let smart people uh, in the organization, um, not at the top of the house, because we have a lot of people here who are smarter than me and, and the top of the house. Uh, let them do the house. And then this notion that we're a high teaming environment. Yeah. We will fail if we don't work together. And that means acknowledging when things are off track and we need a little help. Oh, absolutely. As well as when things are working. It goes back to that communicate like mad. I love that. Yep. And, and Lauren, uh, in a case study at I4CP, mentions uh, leveraging talent um, on agile teams. So you talk about that high teaming environment uh, and, and how agility plays a key role. And that's yes. been a challenge for so many organizations. How do we create agile teams and agile mindsets of leaders? You know, it, it really is. And this notion of a strong corporate center allows us to create kind of what I'll call virtual business units. So uh, our international business, which has grown quite a bit in the last few years, um, you know, one way to do that would be to create a, a big team, hire 100 or 200 people to say, we want to expand our footprint from North America into uh, Asia and Africa and you know, say go. 
We didn't do that. We hired kind of brains, not brawn, um, a small number, a handful, literally, of folks who are great business and international businessmen and women. And we said, we all work for you. Tell us what you need. Uh, tell us what countries and why. Tell us what products, uh, what companies we want to work with and why and what products. And we'll spin our corporate center around to serve you. And that allowed us to very quickly, very nimbly or very agilely uh, put up an international division and get a presence in, um, in Asia and in Africa um, that I think surprised folks with how quickly we were able to do it and without a lot of risk because we didn't build a lot of fixed structure. We could kind of let the facts lead us to wherever we wanted to go. Very interesting. Well, let me ask you this. We're kind of playing off some of the things you've mentioned earlier, but as we head down the home stretch here, we've just just, just a couple of minutes here. Uh, I'm kind of curious, Chris, you were named CEO in 2005, so it's been over a decade, and it's obvious that you're really reinventing the organization and certainly have done that in recent years with the integration of technology and, and the satellites you referred to earlier and certainly all this innovation. So I just wondered, when it comes to, you came out of Notre Dame, uh, you know, 30, 35 years ago, how do you acquire talent that fits into the small agricultural technology niche? What are you looking for? Well, you know, Scott, it's a great, great question. One of the things, and it's one of the reasons I'm so happy to be on on your show today with uh, you and Angel, is we need to get the word out around who we are and what we're trying to do, uh, that we're a pretty interesting company. We're not an investor-owned company, so we don't have that kind of publicity coming from Wall Street. We're a private company. We're owned by farmers. So one of the first things we need to do is tell our story to the broad marketplace, and that includes prospective employees who want to be part of a company like us. We think we're in position to meet this grand challenge of helping feed the soon-to-be 10 billion people on the planet. We think we've got a really unique perch with the farm-to-market view and the farmer ownership structure. So we even say our purpose, and it's a, it's a purpose that – you know, you could say sounds a little funny for a butter company, but we're more than that. We, we as a company say our purpose is to feed human progress, um, and we really believe it. We can do our part to feed human progress. We can do our part to help grow more food with less resources to feed the soon-to-be 10 billion and take care of some of the folks who don't have enough food today. That's a pretty important purpose, and we, we think we've got something to bring to that party. Uh, we want people to know that and, and uh, in a sense, become aware of us and be, become interested in working for us. Your comment is really uh, a great insight, though. We are really a people-driven company. We are not an asset-driven company. We have a lot of assets. But our magic comes from our people, and we continue to need people and the best talent that we can acquire, the most diverse talent that we can acquire, and part of that's telling our story. Great answer. Great answer. Well, I'm so happy you have the opportunity to tell your story today on Leading the Way. And I know I4CP is is just a privilege to have members like Lando Lakes who are so forward thinking like you are. Oh, well, for sure. For sure. And I really, I really appreciate the recognition that um, Lauren, our, Lauren Herringa, our HR lead, uh, our CHRO uh, received from you. Um, I know all of us here. I thought that was very special. So thank you for that. Yeah. You know, Chris, you're, you're such a visionary and and you're clearly looking into the future of the industry and agriculture. And you're thinking globally with the mission of feeding the world and preparing us for the future. What, where did this passion come from? And we only have a couple minutes left, but you know, what, what do you enjoy most about what you do? You know, a great question. I I never uh, dreamt that I'd be in this job, Angel. Um, You know, I always wanted to be successful and, uh, you know, have a good career and a good life. Um, But, you know, careers are kind of something that happens to you along the way. And I I honestly mean that. Uh, But I will tell you now that I'm in this position with this great company, I view it as a privilege. And, you know, how you manage that position to do something that has an impact uh, that's, that's, you know, at the, at the bigger end, uh, go back to one of your lightning round questions. And one of the things I learned as a, as a young guy from, um, uh, from Bob Eckert, who I mentioned, you know, think big, uh, think big, start small, uh, learn fast and, you know, get on with things. And I really have enjoyed that and really have a privilege of, of being in the position I'm in. Household term 
for a lifetime. Land of Lakes. Land of Lakes is what it's been all about the last hour, and our CEO has been Chris Polisinski. You are uh, our new best friend because we just think you, <laughs> you're above and beyond. The information that you have shared with us, Chris, is just phenomenal. We can't thank you enough for, uh, for stopping by. And I tell you what, if you ever get down to the great state of Texas, we certainly hope you'll knock on our door because we'd love to take you to dinner. And uh, really, this is uh, this is great stuff. You've you've shared so much knowledge with us, so much wisdom, and and you uh, you sound kind of like the kind of guy I'd like to be working for. So thanks for your uh, thanks for all your time, and and thanks for all your input. Well, Scott and Angel, thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And we're going to be back with our insight segment and some comments from Jay Jamrog on Chris Polisinski, the CEO at Atlanta Lakes, and lots more as we continue this edition of Leading the Way. What are best practices? Are they what set you apart from your competition? Or are they simply what most companies do to stay in the race? At the Institute for Corporate Productivity, or I4CP, we focus on next practices. And that focus is what today's high-performance organizations rely on to lead the way. Next practices are tactics and strategies that our research has discovered have a great impact on market performance but that few companies are using. They are what will define market leadership in the years ahead. I4CP helps you see around the curve so your company can adapt and take advantage of emerging trends in the ever-evolving world of human capital. We want you to lead the way. So join our team, I4CP, Institute for Corporate Productivity, leading the way. Welcome back to Leading the Way. Here are your hosts, Scott Murray and Angel Carlton. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back. And it is time now for the I4CP Insight segment. And we have with us today I4CP co-founder and futurist, Jay Jamrog. Hello, Jay. How you doing? I'm good, Scott and Angel. How are you doing? Hey, Jay. Good, good. Well, we always start the thing off and say, hey, what'd you think? But I know you got to remember Land of Lakes, <laughs> like I said at the top of the show. <laughs> my mother, I see her opening the refrigerator door, and there it is looking right at me, the big pound of butter. Yeah, well, I grew up the same way, Scott. In fact, um, I'm so dedicated to it. You open up my refrigerator today, you'll still see Land of Lakes <laughs> in my refrigerator. Uh, I love I it. I grew up with it. So I, uh, oh, that's and, great. And Chris, and Chris is a phenomenal person. I had met him once before, and uh, uh -huh. he is so so impressive. Um, and I and I listened to the whole segment. You can't help but to be impressed. And if you were a young person that was looking for a technology background today, and you wanted to get away from the clutter in Silicon Valley and all the politics and everything that goes like that, what a great place to work. I, I mean, agree. To, it, the purpose of feeding human progress. And using your technology knowledge to for that purpose, um, I as a young person, I think I would think twice about whether I went to Silicon Valley or I wanted to go to Minnesota. You know what? I, I felt the same way. It's funny you should say that, Jay, uh, because I he just sounds like such a compassionate person, not just a good uh, leader that you want to be a part of and maybe work for or work with, but he just seems so compassionate. So I totally hear where you're coming from. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, when I was up visiting them, he actually brought in one of his technology, young technology people who were working on it. And this person, you could just feel the passion that this person had for the purpose that they were driving. It was just ridiculously, uh, you could feel the, you feel the enthusiasm. Yeah, for sure. Yep. He is an impressive leader and shared with us so much wisdom and know-how. Uh, I mean, just things like, we will fail if we don't work together and how that correlates with our research on how important collaboration is today. He talks about high teaming environment, agility, mm -hmm. uh, just all this great stuff. But uh, he was explaining to us all these ways that he's really disrupting the agriculture industry. Explain to our listeners, Jay, why disruption is a good thing today. Well, if you, you know, the, if you start reading any of the good thinkers today, especially Friedman's new book, Thank You for Being Late, you'll know, you'll, you'll see quickly that, you know, this age of acceleration that we're in, we're actually doubling the pace of change um, every year. And just being, having, just to survive today, companies have got to be more agile and disruptive. In fact, 74% of CEOs uh, say they want their organization to be disruptive. 
but only 9% of the employees we survey said their companies really are. So companies like Land O'Lakes are at the beginning. Every CEO would love to have a company like Land O'Lakes that is disrupting their industry, but it's very, very hard to do. Well, you know, that kind of plays to the, to the next question I was going to ask you, Jay. You know, companies are using, as we all well know, technology here in the 21st century in creative ways to expand outside of their boundaries. And we just heard from him talk about what Land O'Lakes continues to do, going from a, a butter and dairy company that we kidded about and what we remember as kids to an agriculture technology company. So let me ask you this. Is this really truly the new norm for organizations, should everybody be thinking, as they often say, out of the box like Land O'Lakes seems to be doing? Yes. Uh, yes and no. I mean, Land O'Lakes always remembered their culture and where they came from. So they never disrupted their core um, values. What they did is they disrupt how they deliver their core values. And so you got to do it very purposefully like they did. Um and you got to realize, as they do, that technology doesn't necessarily mean replacing people. It, 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 what it means is replacing the work that people do. And so they, they don't use technology just to get rid of people. As you know, some of the futurists say, well, 33 to 800 billion jobs will be lost in the next 30 years because technology is going to replace people. No, it replaces work. It uses big data so that we can use our brains better to do better work and if you know really help the customer be a better uh, supplier and in this case of feeding the world. Yeah, and speaking of replacing people, Chris mentioned that they have rotated their workforce quite a bit and 50% of their employees are new to the company. I thought that was a right. little shocking. But uh, it's, it seems that attracting talent that really can match up with today's technology expectations is, uh, is, is one of the difficulties or challenges uh, that many organizations are facing today. Correct. What can companies do to attract the desired talent, and, and, and how can these young tech-savvy professionals prepare for this advanced world? Yes. Well, one, one caveat about that 50%. Uh, much of that 50% uh, was due to attrition. It was an aging workforce. And so they, they didn't just lop off people just to lop off people. If you want to work hard at Land O'Lakes, you still have a job. Uh, it, you know, you and may have growth. to reskill. Yeah. And, yeah, and their growth helps a lot. The other thing about attracting the kind of talent, I, you know, our research shows that if you do the same thing that you used to do, what's the definition of crazy? Keep doing the same thing over and over again and hope to get a different response. You have to think different. Everybody has an employee value proposition, and all of them almost sound all the same. But to attract the kind of talent Land Lakes needs for their company versus and, and compete against Silicon Valley, you actually have to treat people as consumers of work, and especially that talent pool. And that means branding yourself. That's why he said he wants to be on this show and he needs to get his word out. It's branding who they are and what they have. So mm -hmm. it's treating people as consumers of work and getting the word out around that talent brand so you become a magnet for that talent. That's not an easy job to do. You're not in a traditional high-tech in, uh, industry. So branding yourself and being, a, uh, being treating people as consumers of work and a magnet for that talent it's a heavy load, and they seem to be doing it. Yes, it, it, it was a little shocking for me to hear all that they're doing. I had no idea. So oh. I am so glad that uh, we had the opportunity here on Leading the Way to share that incredible message. Yeah, we give them a rough time about being up in snow country in Minnesota. They don't know what they're doing up there. They're just freezing every day. No. They, got, they can't even come out of the house. There's so much, somebody drifted snow. Oh, my God. And hey, here, they're working hard. Boy. And here they're they work. have satellites, yeah, I know. you know, checking out the planet. <laughs> Go figure. Go figure. Taking good care of our uh, food crops. You realize this, this little place in Minnesota, you know, they're they're around the world today. It's um, Yeah, it's something. Uh, yeah. It really is. So I, I say, you know, w what we always try to do, at least I do, Jay, when, when I drive home at night after the show on Sundays, I think to myself, now, what is it that Jay said and how can I incorporate that in, in some of the things that I just do in my daily life and the people that I come in contact with? So what I, what I think my takeaway is from this is people like Chris, thank goodness we've got them in our world, in our corporate society. He's clearly looking into the future with a, a global-centric mindset, preparing the world to generate enough food 
to feed future populations. I mean, how is how is that? I mean, that's that's his his vision, and he's basically made it his mission. So my question to you is this: How does the research at I4CP show an organization like this? Is uh, you know what what is their purpose? What is their mission, and how they move forward with that? Well, clearly he articulated his purpose, which is feed human progress, which I think is a wonderful purpose. And too many companies don't really articulate a purpose. They get hung up in the old way of thinking around mission, vision, and values. All great. Mission, vision, and values is really good. They end up being nice plaques to hang on the wall. (laughs) Okay. But if you can communicate, communicate, communicate a purpose, could be one word, in his case, it's four words that really make people want to work for that company. Non-for-profits are usually the ones that have the easiest thing, like you think of the American Red Cross or you think about some of the other NGOs. They all have this purpose. Well, here's a company, a for-profit organization, privately held by farmers, who have a purpose. They're going to feed the human race, and he's optimistic that he's going to do it. Um, you know, it's this is this is the kind of thing that we've got to get to today in a lot of companies if they're going to be disrupted. What is your purpose besides making money? What is your purpose? If you get that right, everything else will follow. Just like last segment, I said if you got if you can't get culture right, nothing else matters. Well, if you if you can't get your purpose right, nothing else matters, including your culture. Is there any other company that comes to mind that? would be comparable to, to the things that Land Lakes is doing, not necessarily in those verticals when they talk about agriculture sure. and that, but just the way they are doing things day to day. Well, that comes to mind. You know, I, I'm really always impressed. I'm very impressed today with the new direction that the new CEO of Microsoft has taken that company. Uh-huh. And, if, and if you read his book, The, uh, the Big uh, the Hit big Refresh. Shit, uh, hit Refresh. Thank you, Angel. Mm-hmm. Um You'll see that their purpose, and it's a very business purpose, but he calls it empathy. And if you can have empathy for the customer, then you can have build products for the customer. Uh, and it's 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 so it's a single word. It's empathy. Um, so yeah, they're going in that direction, and they're making great progress. Of course, 3M has always been known for innovation, um, and so you get these companies that have this purpose. You know, innovation, you know, 3M is, was one of the leaders in telling their engineers, especially, you can have, I think it's 10 or 15% of their time they can put aside just to work on personal innovative projects. Qualcomm was the same way, innovation. So it's, uh, it's you know, you have certain companies that have these purposes that everybody can rally around. Yeah, and it seems to be a trend of having a purpose of improving the human condition in some way, whether it be in the work po- workplace uh-huh. or in society, and uh, and I love it. I'm, I'm so pleased to see our world going in this direction. And so it does give you hope, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does. Sure does. It absolutely does. Well, just listening to you each and every week gives us hope. Come on, Jay. <laughs> absolutely. Jay Jamrock, ladies and I, gentlemen, I, above I and beyond. Up. Scott, I have the yeah. opportunity to listen to people like Chris and a dozens and dozens of them every week that give me hope all the time. Yeah, how exciting is that? And talk about a purpose in your life. Sounds yes. good. Jay Jamrog, as always, a giant thank you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. You too. All Thanks, right. Jay. Thank you much. And as we always remind you, live your legacy by leading the way. Until next week, I'm Scott Murray. And I'm Angel Carlton. For leading the way. Good night, everybody. Bye.